0: The greatest injustice in history where the Son of God who created man was crucified on the cross and when he said, Father, forgive them without an apology, he loosed a shockwave into the earth and he's waiting for his church to loose that same word as we take communion here in Colorado, in America's mountain, to say, America, we forgive you. We lose forgiveness for abortion. We lose forgiveness for the sins of this nation. It's time to come to the table and plead the blood of Jesus on this mountain, October 8th we're holding a great communion service daring to believe the blood of jesus from america's mountain will remove a veil because the blood of jesus is the great communion revival the thing that we've missed at the center of the throne is the body and blood of jesus
1: for those not familiar with lou engel he has overseen numerous gatherings over the years calling people to fast and to pray for revival in america he has stood against abortion outside the capitol building along with others while they wore red tape over their mouths. He was also part of the Azusa Now Gathering, a 100-year celebration of the Azusa revival in Los Angeles. And some may remember a recorded moment at this event in 2016 where he reciprocated in turn the kissing of the feet of a Catholic priest as an act of reconciliation between Catholics and Protestants, while joined by others surrounding him and kneeling alongside, including Cindy Jacobs, Dutch Sheets, and Cheyenne.
0: We're just in a holy moment right here. I want to do the same thing for you. Come, my brothers and sisters. I want you to come here. Come on, the elders, just come. I want to join this thing. This is holy. Signore, io ti ringrazio. Jesus, I thank you. Perché tu stai rompendo lo spirito di divisione chiesa. You're breaking the spirit of division. Tu prepari un grande risveglio. You're preparing a great revival. All'inizio di questo nuovo millennio. In the event of this great call. E quello che hai compiuto 110 yes. anni fa. And that which you to do 110 lo years puoi fare ago. ancora. You're gonna do it again. Fallo ancora, Signore. Do it again. Fallo ancora, do Signore. It again. Fallo ancora, do Signore. signore. Manda la potenza del tuo Send Spirito. Spirit. e battezza questa generazione nello spirito del tuo amore. Hold il spirit. let your spirit come again for a billion Catholics.
1: Today, we are going to be looking at a recent meeting where Lou Engle, since last year at least, has been speaking of the coming communion revival to America. There are numerous videos online you can find about him talking about this, as well as services that have been conducted, and I wanted to take a look at this with you today, along with statements on the Revival's website, so you can have a better understanding of the buildup to this current revival, and we will also be hearing from another individual pivotal to this, and above all, we will be looking at Scripture. The blood of Jesus most certainly speaks a better word, and scripture beautifully helps us to see and to understand communion and what is to be proclaimed to those who are lost. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Don Hill and I am the Love Six Scribe. I can recall years ago, and doing this for quite some time, where I had this little booklet that we were given at our church, Can I Receive Communion at Home? And this little booklet was a very small one, kind of like the ones you would see from Kenneth Copeland's ministry or Kenneth Hagin's ministry, or um, maybe some other ones do this now. They're really small, almost little pamphlets. But in the book, it talked about receiving communion. It had scriptures in there that were relevant to communion. But in addition to that, there were also prayers in there and decrees and, de- and and declarations for when you were receiving communion that you could pray over yourself for healing and all the organ systems of your body or declaring over them that they were going to be whole along with other areas of your life that you may need um, to have needs met by God. And I remember doing that quite often. There's no restriction in scripture from what when you read that you can't receive communion at home however it seems as if when you read about communion that it's more so in a public gathering in within the confines of fellowship of the church of the gathering of the assembly so i remember doing this and praying these things over myself and decreeing and declaring over myself and having since come out of this type of mindset i no longer do that i wanted to come to a better understanding of what communion was and viewing it from a biblical perspective, and not trying to add anything to it or take away from it what communion meant, but to see what Scripture had to say about it. I started learning about this communion revival over the past several months, and had been doing some little bit of research here and there, and looking into it, trying to figure out what was going on. Now, I am not going to be able to cover this particular topic about the communion revival in and itself in its entirety or to be exhaustive in what I'm telling you. I merely want to provide to you some information about it You can so that you can use biblical discernment and test it with scripture and to always go back, of course, to the Word of God for the standard of truth. But in case you weren't aware of what was going on with this, I wanted to draw your attention to it and express some potential concerns that I had observed just from the services that I had looked at online, and also some of the concepts and ideas that were being perpetuated from this. So with that, there are a few statements made in the introductory clip to this episode today. You heard it was the trailer advertising or leading up to the communion revival, and so I wanted to address that with some thoughts for consideration at the end, but right now let's have a listen to a recent interview Lou Engel did with Steve Schultz on the Elijah streams. Now, this interview was conducted about a month or two ago, and this is a clip from that particular interview that um, Steve Schultz did with Lou Engle. But Lou starts with a dream that he had years ago in Redding, California, and he was talking to Bill Johnson about where to catch fish on the Sacramento River. And he states that Bill Johnson tells Lou, in the dream where the river turns red is where you are to catch fish. The centerpiece of this revival is not going to be an evangelistic movement, a prayer
0: movement, a pulpit movement, church growth It's going to be the lamb at the center of the throne. He's bringing us back to the centrality of the body and blood of Jesus, where we can only find unity because we're His body. Even with differences of eschatology and all that, God has said,
1: I'm going to bring you back to the communion table. Come to the table. He says in the dream that fishermen are hauling in fish as he runs down by the river after he states what, he, what we just heard. And he believes this dream, which is called the Redding of America, has to do with the blood of Jesus and the harvest of souls in America. He tells of other dreams from other people he is associated with throughout the time this this goes on through the years, involving chapels lined with people, for example, maps showing great betrayal and beams of light where people are receiving communion on this map of betrayal. And we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail, some of the things he's saying that's on the website for the communion revival. But he also talks about being instructed by God to take communion for 40 days and telling of others doing the same. And he tells of praying the words as Jesus did from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The crux of this revival, though, um, of which he speaks, seems to have reached the pinnacle of its influence when he came upon a book written by the late Benny Johnson from Bethel Church titled The Power of Communion. And we will hear a little bit from an interview she did a year ago with Destiny Image. But I want you to understand where this is coming from and some of the things being stated and believed about communion. In fact, Lou is amazed at Benny's revelation and study of communion, and he calls her book Divine. The
0: memorial of Benny Johnson, an incredible time. And I, I read her book and I realized, oh my goodness, she's been taking communion, studying this. And loosing this revelation for years, and I realized I had a divine book in my hand that God was speaking to me about this
1: great communion uh, revival. Lou tells of having a dream and talking to Bill Johnson while wearing headphones. And I want to play this for you right now so you can have a listen to it.
0: Uh, And in the dream, I take my headphones off, which I know is Isaiah 50. I want to open your ears to listen. Like what? You've got to get this, Lou. You've got to open your ears to the message I'm trying to speak. I couldn't remember the dream when I, I I took the headphones on, and it's like I began to prophesy. Oh. The same dream to Bill, and I said, Bill, it's the great communion revival. I began weeping in the dream, and I realized when I weep in my dreams, it's the Spirit of God confirming deep within me yeah. of what he's trying to give birth to. And I couldn't shake the dream, so two days later I asked if I could come
1: and, and take communion to Bill and Benny Johnson. Lou tells of going to Bill Johnson and Benny Johnson's home and making this request and i came there and i
0: came there and i said benny i did not come here primarily to pray for, for your healing i came here to, and i told her the prophetic storyline i came here to take communion with you and that if you pass away i'm asking you to lay your hands upon me whoa that i would carry your legacy of the great communion revival of what you've walked in and your revelation and she lays her hands upon we take communion. she lays her hands upon me And here I am two days later on Elijah List proclaiming a prophetic word, and I'm proclaiming it. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. During that 50 days, the Lord had me study and watch nuclear uh, bomb tests. The power of those bombs, the Russian bomb, the Tsar bomb. And I'm watching this, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, Luke, you have no idea why I'm sharing this, that in United Massive Communion, You reenact the same power. I loosed a bomb when I went to the cross, and I said, Father, forgive them. The veil over the whole world was ripped. (laughs) He he said, principalities and powers were divested. The church has no idea of the power of unified, massive communion, forgiving one another, and speaking the better blood of forgiveness rather than rage and anger. And uh, it it rocked me. And the Lord began to stir me up through this, that, that now with 50 states, the battle has come.
1: Now, in this same clip, he talks of the Colorado communion, which took place on October 8th of this year, and the power of the being in the physical presence of the body and the blood when receiving communion. And I want to come back to that in just a minute, because there were a couple of things I observed when looking through some things about this I found interesting, and again, want to present those for consideration. But here are some highlights from this recent gathering on October 8th which was a seven-hour-long service, by the way. Revelation chapter 5
0: says there was no one worthy to open the scroll. Brothers and sisters, we can't open up what God wants to open up in these days. There is no hope unless the Lamb at the center of the thrones opens the scroll. The veil is ripped, and the elders gather around the throne. They bow before him and they cast down their crowns. Today, the center of the throne is not this stage, but the body and blood of Jesus Christ. From all over this place, we are asking pastors, senior pastors to gather around the table of the Lord I want those 200 or how many pastors even now begin to go together around it and all of this whole place. Even if you want to come down from your seats, we're going to gather in concentric circles with myriads of angels and 10,000 upon 10,000. We are going to worship the lamb of God that is worthy. Just move from your places even now. And I want you to move to the table of the Lord.
1: I know you can't see this on the podcast. And when this is posted on YouTube, you will be able to see this unless it gets, um, Hopefully it won't get a copyright strike. But what you'll see in the video is in the arena, they have actually set up, which was kind of, it was interesting to say the least. They had um, the platform where the, the worship was going on, where the singers were and the musicians and the platform for the speakers. And then they had a separate platform away from all that with the communion table set up. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute because he specifically says it's it's a type of a certain type of communion. And I don't know if there's a significance to that or not, though. He seems to make it sound like there is. And so I want to offer, again, some things for consideration as to why that could be because of an earlier clip we heard from the Azusa Now but there is a platform set up and he's telling people to go gather around that in a concentric circle and begin to worship the lamb and the bread with a chalice is on there for the, the, for the communion that's on that table. So people are gathered around that table and they are offering worship up to God from this area that they're surrounding of this communion table. Now before I go to the next clip too, I want to mention this. One of the biggest things they mention in all this is abortion and the fact that Colorado was the first state to legalize abortion. And I applaud them for for taking a stand against abortion, um but they're wanting to address this this the sin of abortion in Colorado believing that that's going to stop it. And again, we need to understand where sin comes from. This is rebellion against God. And so the answer that you are probably going to guess that I'm going to say and echo throughout this in any episode I do, the answer is the gospel. This is what people need to be hearing and, and understanding their need for Christ and that they have rebelled against God. Another thing we'll address here too, there's several things, but the identification, repentance that's going on here that, you'll, that you're going to hear throughout this communion service. So I just wanted to mention that before we get to this next clip.
0: Come to Colorado to initiate something today. Let's pray. Jesus I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. And Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America.
1: Hearing that, and again, not against praying and asking God to personally forgive for sin the question is, can we ask God? Can we repent on behalf of our nation? We'll get there. But the the repetitious prayer kind of reminds me of what Jesus talked about when he was um, judging the Pharisees, those that um, offered up these repetitious long prayers and and wanted to be heard and wanted to um, give appearance that they were praying these prayers and 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 having this this repetition like the Gentiles is what he says. that was just something that came to mind to to offer up again for consideration but we'll keep listening
0: I want you right now to stand before the Lord it's not a, a ritual something must shift there are representatives from 47 states here I want us to pray and plead the blood of Jesus over America and when we pray this God and abortion send revival I want you to use your own state Your hands, let's do it together before principalities and powers for the myriads of angels and ten thousand. There is a blood that is speaking even as we declare this. Can we apply the blood to the doorpost of our national guilt? Can we apply the blood to the doorpost of our statewide guilt? Can we apply to the blood? Apply the blood to the doorpost of our family's guilt blood in the bowl doesn't do anything unless it's applied right now we are going to apply the blood from the state called the color red in jesus name jesus i plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation god and abortion send revival to colorado jesus i plead your blood send revival Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God and abortion she-
1: So he continues to pray in that fashion. So we'll move on to the next clip that I want to share with you guys. Again, this was uh, about a seven hour seven hour three minute long service that they had. So we are now we just listened to almost at the four hour minute mark. So now we are at the four hour and sixteen minute mark. Just to kind of give you some context here, um, they are, look looks like they're going to be preparing to do very soon, at this point, the um, they're getting in preparation for the communion service itself. So let's have a listen to that. In the body and the blood of Jesus,
0: and we receive you. We're going to do something that I think pleases God. We're going to bring out of our treasury, both old and new, Anglican communion, Open heart encounter. I think it pleases God.
1: So they're actually preparing in this service. They're putting on the sashes uh, that they wear and kissing them and and going through the different rituals that they do for their particular communion. So I wanted just to play that little bit because it was it was just very interesting to me. Now some may wonder why he used an Anglican communion table. And a priest to officiate it. And I do not have an answer for you. Uh, I was not able to find an actual answer for that, and I may have honestly missed it. But I did find it interesting to note that when reading a little bit about the Anglican Church, their doctrine is a mixture of Catholic and Protestant Reformation theology. According to GotQuestions.org, it says, quote, as in the Catholic Church, the celebration of the Eucharist is central to the worship service, along with the communal offering of prayer and praise through the recitation of the liturgy. My first thought was, I wonder if this has anything to do with Lou Ingel, along with a few other people, such as Todd White and um, Francis Chan and others. They have this ecumenical view of uniting with the, the Roman Catholics and overlooking the, the issues that, that lie in the, in the Roman Catholic belief in the Roman Catholic religion, that it's not the true gospel, that uh, it's gospel plus and along with the uh, worship to prayer to Mary, the the prayer to dead saints, the um, various sacraments and the different um, things that go on in Roman Catholicism. And so... Um, that just seemed interesting to me. Now, I don't know much about the Anglican Church. So I can't speak to the um, Anglican Church. I just am making note, um, based on gotquestions.org, that they do have a mixture here. But I don't know about their standing about the gospel or anything like that. I'm just making an observation with this. And it kind of made me wonder, was this a subtle way that Lou Engle was trying to, to again, reiterate the the unification of Catholicism with Protestantism? Let me just make this note. Unity for unity's sake is not uh, unity. (laughs) uh, False unity for unity's sake is not unity. We are to unite around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fundamental core tenets of Christianity. And if we cannot unite around those, then division is necessary. So unity is to be based on the truth according to Scripture, uh, on the gospel of the Trinity, of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, that Jesus came in the flesh, that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, that there are no other mediators. Um, we don't pray to any. That we don't pray to anybody else. There is no other way to heaven but through faith alone in Christ alone. No, no works are going to save you. We have to believe on the core tenets of biblical Christianity. And that was why the Protestant Reformation came, along with um, some other issues. But one of the biggest ones was acknowledging that the Scripture was the authority, and it, and the Pope and their their statements and their beliefs and, and their authority was not equal to Scripture. That Scripture was the authoritative Word of God, and along with the indulgences and other issues that went on with the Protestant Reformation. So I just found that interesting, and I thought it was also interesting, too, in researching this, that I stumbled across that the Catholic Church has also established a Eucharist revival within the past year, I believe. Um, There's a website called Eucharistic Revival, and um, it says on their website... Our world is hurting. We all need healing, yet many of us are separated from the very source of our strength. Jesus Christ invites us to return to the source and summit of our faith, His real presence in the Eucharist. The National Eucharistic Revival is a movement to restore understanding and devotion to this great mystery here in the United States. And I also wanted to point out to consider and to question what is meant by Lou Engel because of what he actually says to Steve Schultz in this interview regarding communion after asking the Father to forgive others. Then taking
0: the body and blood, forgiving one another, and then daring to believe for the presence as he comes in the body and the blood. How often, he wants us to take it often. He says, as often as you do it, I think it's a whisper yeah. from Jesus. I think he's actually saying... I want you to listen to me. I want to do this often. When he said how I have eagerly desired to take this Passover, he was longing to share his body and blood. And it's almost like a sacrament. It's in the presence of the body and blood when we take it. He comes near. Healing is in the blood. Healing and, and deliverance is in the blood. This is what we're believing. So-,
1: so, yeah, I'm not quite sure what he means by that, by saying that we believe that the presence is coming into the body and the blood when they're receiving communion. I don't know what he means by that. So that would be, I think that's an important question to ask because, depending on the the faith that you ha- that you hold, um, whether someone is Roman Catholic and they actually believe in tra- in transubstantiation, where the bread and the wine actually physically becomes Christ's body and and blood, that as far as Protestantism is concerned, it is a very different. Take on an understanding of communion versus Roman Catholicism. Let's backtrack a little bit and we're going to listen to um, two more clips from the Colorado Communion Service. This is what occurred following the receiving of communion.
0: With him in with to begin to
1: to again to my understanding Isaiah 25 is an eschatological verse And so he's actually claiming things. It almost it sounds like it's an overrealized eschatology when you listen to him talk about this. And then, of course, he's. It sounds like he's also claiming different signs as far as numbers that are significant and such, which can potentially cross over into omen reading. But um, you're going to hear him talk about this particular verse and that it has to do with Colorado and then being at Pikes Peak and doing this communion revival.
0: The disciples couldn't recognize Jesus after the resurrection until he broke bread. I want us to stretch, just stretch your hands out. Face, face the other way like we're facing out of the stadium. And I want us to begin to command right now, behold the Lamb of God. Because the last word of God was not repent, but behold. Just begin to command, behold the Lamb. Yeah, begin to pray to the lost.
1: Command to the lost. Um, I'm going to have to disagree and throw a flag on the field whether it's intentional or not, that is downplaying the call to repent. And John's call was to repent. And even after John's death, Jesus went on in that ministry to minister the gospel of the kingdom according to the gospel of Matthew. And it says that Jesus continued to carry on the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they're actually doing like a prophetic act here and they're going to be decreeing and declaring. This is not prayer, by the way. This is not a biblical model for prayer. And this is coming from someone that used to, to do this, this type of stuff, of decreeing and declaring. So this is not a biblical model of prayer. We cannot call in somebody's salvation Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People must hear the gospel. Yes, we need to pray for people. We need to ask God and petition him and bring our supplications to him and bring them with thanksgiving and trusting him all along the way and continuing to pray for others. But our prayers do not save people. It is the gospel that saves people. It is Christ who saves people. So we've got to remember that because there can if if not, then we can dangerously cross into this this understanding or this belief that we have all this power and authority and it's because of us that people get saved while we want to have a false humility at the same time and say, well, it's you know, it's it's God. We want to give him glory, but you know, I have all this power and prayer and such. No, no. It's the gospel that saves and it's the gospel that needs to be proclaimed. Happened if the zeal and the passion that a lot of us can identify with when we were in this movement? What if we had that zeal and passion to minister the truth according to the Word of God and according to what Scripture says, and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we had that that zeal that we thought that we that we had and claimed when we were proclaiming and decreeing and declaring. Just think about that. I mean, I, I've thought about that before, how we can make these any of us can have reasons to why we don't want to share the gospel with somebody and um essentially make excuses. But we don't make excuses for for this type of behavior in in this movement, of thinking that it's okay because it's it's very indirect. And it's passive. We're not having to face someone and tell them they're sinful and their need for a savior and the the wrath of God abiding on them. None of that. I, I don't know. I just think about this and and I see what's going on here in this in this video and. And thinking about my own past of of things I used to do, it, it's a false sense of power. The, the power, the true power of the gospel. Because honestly, I think that the the power of the gospel is being diminished. It's all these other things, and and now we're saying, and now with this revival, it's saying, well, no, we need the communion. We need to the to focus on the blood of Jesus. And that's I'm not diminishing that. It's all well and good. But then when you start listening to the the verbiage, and you start reading, you start really paying attention to what's being said. The gospel is is really not there in its completion. And another thing I'm concerned about is the um, false unity, the the ecumenical call to join with other religions. Oh, let's just put our differences aside. Well, we're not talking about secondary or third or tertiary issues. That's not the case. We're talking about the fundamental differences in the gospel, contradicting and um, disobeying Scripture on very serious issues. We've got one last clip to play for you from the Colorado communion revival. This is where different people are coming up on the platform around the communion table and beginning to decree, declare. Let's see what happens. Raise your hands.
0: Come here. Come here. Come here. Just step up here, young lady. I want us. The world has ridden off Gen Z, but I believe Gen Z could be the explosion Come on, you guys, get up! Come on, come on, stretch your hands out! Come on, get up here. Where else? Come on. Just keep going, Laura. Stretch out your hand. Would you begin to cry out that God would erupt on this generation with the heart of the Father? We decree the power of the blood that breaks every curse. Go ahead.
2: I come to heaven. Real louder. I come to heaven on behalf of my generation. I declare it's God's nation.
1: what does that mean? Did, and does, I, I wonder if this young lady has an understanding of what she's asking for and if she understands the gospel and if she understands that this is something as far as the next generation is going to walk in power. This is the last generation. This has been prophesied over and over and over for decades. And again, I don't want to make little of, of individual souls or anything like that. But I think we need to be honest and, and recognize and acknowledge this is not a new thing, a new prophecy. And some of the things that she's saying are, is scripture out of context. She's quoting Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, little bits of it. Do you not see a new thing as, as, as springing up? That's talking about Christ. That's talking about the new covenant. But there's some of these things, I mean, to to be fair, she just may not be aware of these things because when you're a part of something like this, you just hear verses that are misappropriated. And so you begin to take what you hear and you begin to, to parrot it and not realizing the far greater meaning behind it that's really pointing back to Christ. So those were some of the highlights. Again, I mean, I didn't want to share a whole lot because it was such a long service, but I wanted to share some of those highlights with you. Now, there is an article that was published on October 10th on Charisma News that I came across that talked about this particular service and this communion revival. Uh, In the article, it says that pastors and major ministry leaders joined Engel in an Anglican communion service with a chalice and Shala bread situated on a table inside the world arena filled with believers focused on Jesus. Lou Engle had talked in this article too about that he believed that there was going to be a harvest, a plentiful harvest of souls from this communion revival, and it was addressing the issue with abortion, and we'll get to that in just a minute off their website. Um, Cindy Jacobs also prophesied at this gathering, and so I wanted to read a little bit of what was stated in that article. She said this, um, From the highest state in the Union, the watershed state, the Lord would say, Isn't there a convergence of all the prayers of those who have gone before and those who have cried and pleaded the blood over Colorado? Isn't there a convergence now, the prophecies? Isn't this the time, says the Lord, when I'm going to bring it to pass, the prophecy that revival would come from the south of Colorado Springs? And the Lord would say, it is no accident that you are here today because I'm getting ready to turn some things around that man would say are impossible. I am getting ready through the power of the blood to shake Colorado and America to the surprise of people who thought they owned this nation. It's mine. Says the Lord. Now, on their website, which is called the Communion Revival, uh, here are some things just to be aware of. Now, when you go on this website, it talks about registering for the registering for free, so they didn't charge anything for the October eighth event. And they say from road to revival on this mountain, Pikes Peak. They say the veil will be removed, principalities will fall, there will be a great harvest of souls through the great communion revival. And then they go on to quote Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away Away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And I would encourage you to do a Bible study on Isaiah 25 and to look further into that. Now, when he goes on to talk about, it's a message from Lou on this website, and it says, Communion, Colorado. There are moments in history when a door for massive change opens. Great revolutions for good or for evil occur in the vacuums created by these openings. It is in these times that key men and women, even entire generations, risk everything to become the hinge of history, that pivotal point that determines which way the door will swing. We in America have been thrust into such a defining moment. This socially convulsed post-Roe era puts a demand upon the church in every state to seize the moment, fill the vacuum, and lead the parade of history. But Colorado, the state that gave us promise keepers in 2000, and many amazing church movements and ministries that have touched the globe, with what will you fill the vacuum now? And then they do this um, what, when, where, who, and why as far as what they're doing, what they did on October 8th. And as you scroll on down, um, they again share their their um, mantra that they do their prayer. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Again, I am not opposed to revival. I'm not opposed to people turning back to Christ or turning to Christ if they they never knew Christ and to um, have zeal and passion for God and and for his word and to minister and proclaim his gospel that people would turn from their sin and turn from being dead in their sins and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior as the Holy Spirit is bringing them to, to spiritual life and that they have the promise of eternal life and not the, the promise of eternal judgment. I'm not opposed to that but again some of these movements It it, a lot of it has a lot, to be honest, a lot of it has a, a, a tremendous amount of sensationalism to it and hype and emotionalism. And when that goes away, and you leave these gatherings, you have to be willing to examine personal fruit and to see, well, okay, was this really, truly a revival? Or was this just something that I was in the moment and my my flesh was moved and i was my emotions were moved and it was like a a a herd mentality that everybody else was operating in this way and i don't i don't have that true zeal and i'm not um i don't understand the gospel i don't under i don't have a passion for the word of god and for to know him better through his word and to properly discipled in in a way that i should be as a believer. Those are things that we need to consider a little bit further down. They talk about some of the vision from this revival, so I want to talk about that. Uh, Lou Engel has mentioned some of the dreams, so he said eighteen years ago, seventy young men and women gathered in Colorado. Springs to fast and pray for 50 days and nights that the U.S. Supreme Court would reverse Roe versus Wade. The Lord gave us a prayer that eventually spread across America and has been poured out before the court of heaven like a voice of many waters. Um, at some point in the future, I want to do a podcast about the courts of heaven because that's a very problematic teaching, also. Um, and he talks about the Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation, God end abortion and send revival to America. He says, we believe this prayer contains the key to shifting the the nation into a culture of life, healing, forgiveness, and national revival, the great communion revival. And a little further down, um, they talk about the decision of Roe versus Wade. He says, for years... We have dreamed about the Great Communion Revival that would far surpass all other revivals. We believe the flashpoint for this revival must be seized in Colorado Springs. Colorado was the first state to legalize abortion in 1967. Should it not be the first state to hold a, nation, a statewide Great Communion service, uniting the churches in love and pleading the better blood that leads to forgiveness, revival, and reformation, Colorado has known its bitter moments of division and betrayal, both in government and in the churches, which have left us vulnerable to the ploys of Satan. And goes on further to talk more about a dream which he talks he's in the dream he says there was an interactive map and the map showed a place where there had been great betrayal and pain and suddenly on the map lights began to break forth wherever people were taking communion together and he said they were receiving bb Diplomas that were multiplying. Meanwhile, there was another communion service taking place along that river of betrayal. It was a toxic brew of anger, bitterness, rage, and unforgiveness. In this dream, those drinking the wine of bitterness were receiving BA diplomas, and they were multiplying as well. However, the BB diplomas had authority over the BA diplomas. Those who spoke the better blood of forgiveness were gaining authority over those who were the brethren accusers. Now, who is the, uh, the accuser of the brethren? That's Satan. I understand that people who are not born again, they, their father is the devil. Uh, they are agreeing with his nature. I understand that. They are still image bearers. They are made in the image of God. But not everybody is a child of God. I know there are people that will disagree with that. But if you follow what Scripture says, we are all made in the image of God. Human beings are. So we are image bearers of God. That is not the same as being a child of God. You can only be a child of God through faith alone in Christ alone and you are adopted into the family of God because of your faith in Christ to save you from the wrath of God to reconcile you to the to God the Father and to give you the promise of eternal life. That's the only way. I mean, Jesus said in John 14:6, uh, "I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." So that's the only way we we become children of God and we're adopted. We're not the same as Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. So, Lou Engel shares this dream about the BB diplomas and the BA diplomas, and those that don't agree with the better blood are given BA diplomas. They are the brethren of accusers. And even in his interview with Steve Schultz, he made a comment about this, that he found himself being judgmental towards other people in their ministries, and he said the Lord said to him, Oh, you're one of those BA diplomas then. You're, you're a brethren of the uh, accuser. And I... I find that type of rhetoric when when people are trying to use proper biblical discernment and trying to warn about um, concerning practices that are not lining up with Scripture and are denying the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and then they're saying, well, you're just being judgmental, Pharisee, religious, critical spirit, all these other things, and they're aligning you with Satan because of that. Then I I find that problematic. But he goes on to talk about when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was the Savior saying that, by the way. Well, now he believes that we who are or I'm sorry, those who are BB diplomas um, uh, recipients, they can release great power for healing in the earth um, because Jesus did the same. He released great power for healing in the earth when he said, Father, forgive them. When the church begins to voice that same cry in the midst of communion, according to Engel, it will release the power of the cross for days of revival. Where's the gospel? Romans 1, 16, 17. For the, for, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also the Greek. Um, in light of this, we are gathering. he talks about gathering in Colorado Springs, and they're going to be praying for their leaders and being um, on the Mountain of Pikes Peak, and the prophetic significance of that. So I wanted to share that from the website, again, to give you a little bit more background on that. So now we come to the point of what Benny Johnson has to do with all of this, and you may be, be wondering about that. But, you know, he did mention, of course, that he went to their house, and before she passed away, that he had her lay hands on him, and pray over him, and impart her mantle to him, or impartation to carry on the communion revival. So I wanted to share some highlights from an interview that she did a year ago with Destiny Images, one of their podcasts, so, so you can get some understanding on the level of influence that she had in Lou Engel's carrying on of this communion revival. And it seemed to spark up after she passed away. So let's hear some of the things that Benny Johnson said about communion in an interview that she gave on April 5th of 2021. In this first clip, she's going to be talking about how they incorporated it into their home, communion at home, during the time that Bill Johnson was sick.
3: Um, and, and yeah, we only took it corporately because that was a tradition, and we never even thought that we could incorporate it into our home devotional. And it wasn't until um, in between our daughter, our daughter almost died and was put in the hospital. and then Bill getting really violently sick, um, did we really start incorporating the communion on a daily basis. And you know, when Bill was in the hospital unable to drink or eat, um, I would, before his surgery, I would go up there every morning. And I would take communion for him and with him because he was unable to. And those are really special times. Um, The presence of the Lord really would come into the room and we would just bask in his presence. And and just um, the power that was behind um, the communion taking, uh, we really learned the value of it. And we are convinced that God walked us through that. And actually there was some miracle that took place in Bill's body. Um, that wasn't uh, that wouldn't cause some real serious stuff. And and we know it was because we prayed together and we took communion. It's just flat out the way it goes. So
1: Now, I wanted to read real quick. Uh, I'll play a couple more clips for you and just kind of give you a general understanding. If you want to listen to this, I will have the links below so you can hear the full interviews, just so you can hear the context. But in the book and in the interview with Destiny Image, she talks about the power of the communion, which I've talked about her book before in... Um, I think last year when I did a, uh, a an episode about communion and with Kenneth Copeland and some some concerning practices that were going on in uh, a service that he did and the connections between her book to uh, Clay Trumbull from the mid1800s mid1880s and a book that he wrote about the Blood Covenant which was I'll be honest, was disturbing that they were making that correlation um, because he talks about uh, drinking blood and cutting covenant with other people in some of these tribes and such that were outside Christianity. But at any rate, in her book, in The Power of Communion, she talks about, and in her interview, that communion is powerful for intercession, for praying for other people, for decreeing and declaring, um, that it's powerful. It's a powerful tool for as a prophetic act and uh, spiritual warfare. So we'll touch a little bit on that. But on page 54 of her book in a chapter titled Sozo for All Mankind, she talks about when Bill was sick and that she finds it sad that there are people that um, believe that God no longer heals, which I don't know anybody like that. There may be people that are professing, professing believers that don't believe God heals and that um, that all miracles ended with the apostles. So she goes on to say, this is such a sad thought to me when she when she ponders this, and she says, Jesus endured the unimaginable on the cross in order that we could access salvation and wholeness. We deny the power of the cross when we deny the power of God healing today. Now, I found that statement interesting just as a side note because there is some speculation and talk about what Bethel teaches about their gospel, that there are additions to it, And that if you don't have signs and wonders or you don't believe in healing, that that's another gospel. I know Bill Johnson has taught that in years past. So I just wanted to mention that this is actually in this book that she alludes to that. Then she goes on to talk about how they had a conversation with someone, uh, her and Bill did, with a man that was a cessationist and that they were in a coffee shop, and he had papers and and a Bible, and she said he looked like he was in deep study. And they struck up a conversation with him and quickly discovered that he did not believe in speaking in tongues or prophecy or healing was for today. And she said they had an interesting discussion with him, and when she walked away from that experience, she had one thought. No one can deny your testimony. When I started sharing, she says, what God had done in my life, the gentleman didn't have anything to say. Well, that doesn't mean that maybe he was just being polite. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe he was just reserving something to say and was trying to be respectful. But she goes on to say, people can argue with theology, but your testimony is your most powerful tool. And I would disagree with that. Because your though your testimony is encouraging, and um, if it's testifying of Christ— that that is wonderful to do that but that is not what saves people once again it is the gospel the power is in the gospel which is the testimony of christ there are people in other religions that have testimonies as well and they're in false religions so your personal testimony if it is not testifying of the true christ and the true gospel then it's not very powerful and it's not very meaningful then. And we've got to get back to the place of we're not relying on our experiences to set the, the standard of power and what God can do. Our experiences don't do that. It's the gospel that does that. The gospel is what people need to hear. And if we are only sharing with people our testimony and saying, yeah, bro, yes, this, you know, God brought me out of, of drug addiction and all this other stuff, and I don't do these things anymore, and you don't even minister the gospel to them, and you think that your testimony is what's going to save them, then you don't have an understanding biblically of what the gospel is and what saves people. So let me um, play just a couple more clips from her interview. And this just kind of gives you an idea. She also talked about taking communion makes the kingdom breakthrough in business.
3: You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everything. He died for it all. Um, everything he did was for us to gain the kingdom. And so using it for business, using it for prodigal children, um, which is a great thing to do. And just I, I think that it's important just to use it in every sphere of life. And see what God will do if we faithfully use it and believe in the power
1: of it. Uh, The question I would ask you to think about, is that what communion does? Was that the point of communion? Let me pick out one or two more things just to kind of highlight to you. Let's see what she had to say about uh, communion being used as a prophetic act.
3: So that's what I'm using. And obviously we have um, communion is that prophetic um, note, that prophetic rhythm that will... Um, cause something to shift in the spirit realm. So when I'm taking communion, say, for the United States, or I'm taking communion uh, for, um, and I'm praying and declaring over human trafficking or anything like that, I feel like prophetically I'm making declaration into what I'm praying for. And that is a prophetic statement. And the communion is helping bring the spiritual release in all of it. So um, I like the prophetic acts. I've been doing them for a long time, but for many years, I never incorporated communion In them until the last several years. And I think that it's just one more step in our arsenal of tools, and it's a powerful one.
1: One last clip to play for you. I thought this was an interesting thing that she stated about when she takes communion as far as spiritual warfare is concerned and what she enjoyed most out of taking communion.
3: Um, I take communion with a sober mind, but I also take communion as thanksgiving, and I also take communion in celebration.
1: Now, I will be fair, and I appreciate that she brought this up because I do believe that we need to have um, thanksgiving, that we need to be sober-minded when we take communion to reflect on what Christ has done for us. That is very important, and that we need to have a posture of judging ourselves and not taking a communion in an unworthy manner um, to where we're being irreverent towards God. So, I, I agree with what she's saying. i do I just have concerns or I disagree with what she's going to be saying here in just a moment.
3: I believe that you can incorporate all three of those elements. Um, we should never take communion just to take it. Uh, I believe that we should if we do have the time to just really take the time and ponder it, and then uh, we become so thankful. when you realize and you take the time to just meditate on what he did for us, then your heart becomes so thankful and then you're able to celebrate because of what he did. I can celebrate. I can be happy. I can be full of joy because of what he did. Um, And also, this is one thing that I love about communion is that in the midst of taking communion, you are slamming the devil and you are actually saying you lost. You thought you were winning when Jesus died on the cross but the power of his resurrection multiplied millions and millions and millions of followers and it backfired on the devil big time. And I just think that's the best thing ever. So when I take communion, I remember that. I remember that the devil was defeated and he has to watch me take communion. He has to watch me take the blood and the bread of Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) I'm thankful that Satan is defeated. I don't think about Satan, though, when I'm taking communion. I don't know about you, but I don't think about the devil when I'm taking communion. I'm thinking about Christ. I think these are things that we just have to take into consideration when anyone is teaching on this, this topic or any other topic that's dealing with it on a biblical perspective. Having listened to all of these different clips, I wanted to talk a little bit with you for a few minutes about a a couple different areas in here. So we're going to talk a little bit about identification repentance. Now identification repentance, the definition of that is a term referring to a type of prayer which identifies with and confesses before God the corporate sins of one's nation, church, or family. And the question comes back to, can we pray or repent for a nation? And I would answer no. Now, some people will disagree with that because they'll say, well, you know, it's in the Bible. We can do that. Daniel did that. And Moses did that. And Jeremiah did that. And all these prophets did that. But that was Old Testament. And when you look at that, that seems to be a type and shadow of Christ. Um, We know that, that Jesus is now our prophet, priest, and king. And so we see in the Old Testament, the types and shadows of the prophets, they were there to call the people to repent. They were preaching the gospel even then, and to tell them to turn back to God. And they were also providing counsel to kings. They were foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. So they were standing in a place that was a type and shadow that was hearkening toward Christ, that was telling of him. And they prayed and repented for the nations and also too we need to consider that america yet again i'm going to say this does not have a special covenant with god israel had a special covenant with god america does not and so we see in the new testament that people are now responsible for their own sins we are each responsible individually for our own sins we we can see in multiple areas of scripture talking about this, but when we go, for example, to first John chapter one, verse nine, when we read this, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that repentance is getting us back to the truth. It's realigning us back to the truth, and it's keeping us in that proper fellowship with God by bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And that is an individual thing. We cannot repent for other people. We cannot repent on behalf of our ancestors. We cannot repent on behalf of an ethnic group, uh, on a, uh, a tribe of any sort. We cannot repent on behalf of a nation or the world or anything like that. People's repentance and their sins is an individual matter that each each one of us will give an account of our lives before God. And so we need to be aware of that and not make these blanket statements of, well, we can just pray for America and everybody's going to turn back to Christ and everything's going to be okay. Okay. Um, Another scripture that we can go to, we can see that there is a difference between worldly grief and godly grief. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 tells us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So godly sorrow has produced, it produces in us the fruit that shows that we have truly repented before the Lord and that we are standing in in a place of righteousness because of Christ. We're in right standing before God. We are justified. But worldly grief only produces death. There is no change. So people can have a worldly grief about things about abortion. There are people that that are grieved about abortion but they don't they may not be, be true believers in Christ. That's a worldly type of grief that they have, whereas a godly grief or a godly sorrow is realizing I have sinned against a holy and just God. If a woman has had an abortion, for example, that she must come to the understanding that she has sinned against God and God alone. That, she ha- that her it, that her ancestors can't be blamed for it, or mom and dad can't be blamed for it. No one else can be blamed for it. If she makes a decision to do that, or any of us sin for that matter, whatever sin we're committing, it's against God. And so the person that is truly born again, they're going to have a godly grief about their sin, whereas a, a worldly person or a lost person is going to have just, may have a worldly sorrow, and they may not. They may just be hardened, and they don't care what's happening um, and then Ezekiel 18, I encourage you to read Ezekiel 18, that entire chapter in the Old Testament actually shows us um, the, the the fact that um, the, the sins of the fathers will not be held against the sons and vice versa. So it again reiterates this issue of each one of us will give an account for our own lives before God. And we need to be aware of that. And that identification repentance is not something that we see practiced in the New Testament. Now, I also wanted to talk a little bit about revival for just a moment, because with revival, you know, we do see this push, and and especially in this movement, there is this push for revival and and seeing people um, radically transformed for God, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But when we talk about revival— We need to be aware of what revival really is. So, revival refers, it's not a, a group of meetings that you have and then nothing really changes and you just get hyped up. Revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. And this is from GotQuestions.org. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for His Word and His church, a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, and and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. Revival invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to the truth in a fresh new way. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate, marking a new beginning of a life lived in obedience, to God. Revival breaks the charm and power of the world, which blinds the eyes of men and generates both the will and the power to live in the world, but not of the world. And this um, this article continues to go on to talk about different aspects of revival and even touching on the um, first U.S. revival, which was the First Great Awakening in the 1730s and 1740s. And one um, particular revival that I came across that I was aware of, and there's been several throughout history that are legitimate revivals that have have um, borne good fruit and have made differences. And, and I found this on Christianity.com. This was an article uh, back in 2010, and it talked about when revival ran epidemic. And there was um, an 1857 prayer meeting that broke out in New York, and it began to spread and explode all over the globe over the, the next couple years. And people were dealing with a lot of issues prior to the Civil War, financial issues and crises, and people began to, to turn to prayer. And in, in these prayer meetings, people were repenting. They were coming to saving faith in Christ. The gospel was, was advancing and going everywhere and, and uh, being preached to people. And then it began to spread. Uh, The prayer meetings were organized in cities by lay people and were interdenominational. Prayer rather than preaching was the main instrument of revival during then. And they talk about tents being set up and, um, and how this affected other continents, other countries in the world, and that it spread to Scotland. And it also... Um, advanced on to other countries. And it even talks about that some people such as D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, uh, were significantly affected by the revival of 1859. And they, um, because of the effect on them, they, they went on to minister and to proclaim the truth of the Word of God. So, we can see that there are revivals in history that have been good. They have um, bore good fruit. And then there are other types of revivals that are called into question. And anytime, listen, also too, you will see people that, again, it is very easy to get caught up in hype and sensationalism and emotionalism. That's when we have to be willing to look at our experiences and test them and say, I've truly experienced something here and it felt real. Is this biblical? And am I bearing fruit in accordance with Scripture to show that I truly belong to Christ and an and understanding what that what that means, what the gospel means? So we have to take those things into consideration. Some other things to consider as we're wrapping this up today. One question that stood out to me when I was thinking about the, the communion and some of the things that uh, Mrs. Johnson was saying and some of the things that were being taught about communion and that it's a tool and it's a weapon— I wondered why Paul didn't tell us or tell the other churches in the epistles about these other meanings for communion being stated in her book and in the communion revival. Because it seems like that by not knowing these things for the past couple thousand years that people have been deficient when we know that scripture is sufficient. So that's one thing to consider about that. And, and to also be aware that the blood of Jesus does speak a better word according to Hebrews twelve twenty four. And it is a better covenant. You know, you heard in some of those clips that you heard Lou Engle say those things that that his blood is speaking a better word and a better covenant than abortion. Well, his blood most certainly does speak a better word and brings a better covenant. And we should consider that there is no precedent in the new covenant for repenting on behalf of our nation and another's sins. And again, as I said, that's a type and shadow of the Old Testament when prophets and the others did this. So we're in a new covenant now where that's not necessary. Christ is ever interceding at the right hand of the Father. I found this really helpful from BibleRef.com regarding Hebrews 12.24. I want to read this to you. It says, what does Hebrews 12.24 mean? It says, this verse completes a comparison between how God presented man with the old covenant versus how he presents man with the new covenant. At Mount Sinai, the people of Israel were shown that God is absolutely holy and unapproachable by a sinful man. This is why God used clouds, fire, trumpets, and so forth to inaugurate his covenant through Moses. On the other hand, Christ offers us a new covenant, one which removes the barrier between men and God, and which allows us to approach the throne of God with confidence. As a result, we come to this new covenant in a tone of peace and rest, rather than one of fear and judgment. This scene is depicted to include celebration, angels, and the departed Christians who wait for us to join them. Here, Christ is mentioned as the final component of that glorious scenario. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, it was mentioned that Christ's work in heaven was the real sacrifice which the blood offered in earthly temples was meant to symbolize. Once again, Jesus Christ is mentioned as the mediator of this new covenant. This is from the Greek term mesite, which literally means someone who goes between two parties to resolve a dispute. And if I mispronounce that Greek word, I apologize. In modern English, we might call this person an arbitrator. Christ and Christ alone serves to bridge the gap between sinful men and a perfectly holy God. Earlier in this letter, the writer mentioned Abel, whose untimely death did not present him, prevent him from being counted as an example of godly faith. In that reference, it was that Abel still speaks in spite of his death. Of course, Abel's blood was shed without consent in an act that demanded retribution. In contrast, Christ's blood was shed of his own will and rescues mankind from the penalty of his own sins. Now, Lou spoke of the greatest injustice in history, in, being, in, in Jesus being crucified. And I understand to a point what he's trying to say in that because Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, he was, and he atoned for our sins, but he willingly did it. He willingly did it. He atoned for our sins. He propitiated our sins, satisfied the wrath of God, while also on our behalf, which was given by a just God who must punish sin. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is also helpful in reminding us, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it's also important for us to remember that God foreordained this to take place. Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Peter talks about this on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, that this was foreordained by God for Jesus to be crucified. We see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We can also see in Isaiah 53, verse 7, where this is talking about the suffering servant who is Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth." We can see many other passages of Scripture that are um, going to testify of Christ and point us in that direction. And in addition to understanding this, too, it's also important for us to understand communion itself, which was Paul's term describing the Lord's Supper according to Holman's Bible Dictionary. Paul used the Greek term koinonia to express the basic meaning of the Christian faith, a sharing in the life and death of Christ, which radically creates a relationship of Christ and the believer and of the believers with one another in a partnership or unity. This is why vast majority of the times when you hear communion being referenced, it's within a church gathering. It's among fellow believers. This is what he was referencing in 1 Corinthians 11 when he rebuked them for how they were treating the Lord's Supper when they were coming together. Holman Bible Dictionary um, says about the Lord's Supper that it is a church ordinance where unleavened bread and fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and anticipate his second coming. We can see this account testified of in the four Gospels, Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29, Mark 14, verses 22 through 26, Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, and John chapter 13, verse verse 2. And we can also read in 1 Corinthians 11, as I stated, uh, beginning at verse 20, about the issues that were taking place with the Lord's Supper. And I would encourage you to read those passages, because these are what help us to understand what communion is. And I also want to note that most conservative scholars hold to First Corinthians being written before any of the Gospels, and this is according to John MacArthur's commentary. And if this is the case, this is the first biblical record of the Lord's Supper that we see in First Corinthians eleven. In First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-six, MacArthur states in his commentary, "The gospel is presented through the service of communion as the elements are explained. They point to His physical incarnation, sacrificial death." Resurrection and coming kingdom. So this is a beautiful thing for us to reflect upon. Is the fact of what First Corinthians eleven twenty six is testifying of the Lord in th- through the Lord's supper is testifying of the things that He mentioned: His physical incarnation, sacrificial death, resurrection, and coming kingdom. And so these are the things that we are to ponder on and to think on, and to be uh, thankful for and to rejoice in when we receive communion. Now, as we're closing, what we need to understand when we're talking about this subject, or any other subject for that matter, and wanting to evaluate it and to express concerns, is that we must point back as believers in Christ to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those of us in Christ must understand the importance of communion and in what Jesus did on our behalf. We remember what he did until he returns. And that's what he told his disciples. And we are to do it in remembrance of him. And as often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of him. We have no power in and of ourselves when taking communion. We are remembering the power of God to save us, to reconcile us, and to bring us back to life spiritually. And we rejoice in the glorious promise of eternal life because he rose from the dead and he is coming back for us. So we have much to celebrate. We do not use it as a tool or weapon or even give thought to Satan while we receive communion, which he is not watching us, because if you imply something like that, then that's to imply that he is omnipresent, and he is not omnipresent. And we certainly cannot forgive the sins of our nation or any other nation. To say this is to lay claim as the mediator, and we know that 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony that was given at just the right time. We should pray for God's mercy upon our nation and for our leaders to walk in his ways and to serve God. We should stand in the truth with love against atrocities such as abortion, and we are to be repentant people and responsible for our own sins individually, trusting that God is gracious and merciful to forgive us. And even in the midst of God's judgment for sins against him, he has graciously made a way for his people to approach the throne of grace in humility. Remember this, communion is for born-again believers only. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed to unbelievers, and it is to encourage those of us who are in Christ daily as to why we need him. While we are on this earth, we get to partake of communion and remember his sacrifice for our sake, and we testify of him through his gospel so that others may come to saving faith and partake of this as well, being encouraged to think upon his death, burial, and resurrection— and to hold on to his promises through faith in him in the midst of a fallen world. I hope that this episode has been helpful to you today. And um, as always, if you have been encouraged by this podcast or want to recommend it to other people, please consider leaving a five-star review and even leaving a comment so I can know how this has blessed you. And also, too, um, I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, That I, uh, you can email me at dawn at So, I look forward to being with you next week. And until that time comes, be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at LovesickScribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and And we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.